book of Jude will be verses 17 through 23 this morning. We're going to look at God's game plan for apostate times. God's game plan for apostate times. In verses 17 through 23 it says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Let's pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for giving us the blessing of coming to your house this morning, Lord. God, I ask you to go with me this morning. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I ask you that you will speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just move me out of the way. Open our hearts and minds to your word, Lord. I I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the warning you've given us against false believers and false teachers, these apostates, God. I ask you to help us all be mindful that they are here among us. Lord, I ask you to go with us and help us be able to identify them. I ask you to help us have the boldness and the courage to contend for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, Lord, I ask you to help us be compassionate to try to win those people to you, Lord. Help us share the true gospel with them. Give us the boldness to do that. Lord, go with all those who've been mentioned on the prayer list, those who've lost loved ones, Lord. I ask you to give them comfort and healing. God, just go with us as a church. Lord, I just ask you to guide us as we go into the future, Lord. Most importantly, I ask you to help us stay true to your word. Help us share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, Lord. We know if we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, you'll draw people here, Lord. You'll draw people to yourself. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God's game plan for apostate times. Jude is getting very close to the conclusion of his letter here, and as he does that, we see a crucial question arise. And that question is this, how can we as believers practically contend for the faith as Jude has encouraged us to do? How can we ensure that we'll be victorious in a day of rampant falsehood when all this false teaching is going on around us and all these so-called believers are everywhere? How can we make sure we don't fall into that and we can uh, win the victory? How can we personally apply Jude's cautions here about apostasy to ourselves and to our lives and to our church? How can we do that? Well, Jude recognized the fact that his readers needed more than just a warning. It's one thing to warn about these people. It's another thing to have a plan of attack. And so that's what he gives us in these verses here this morning. Instead of merely being on the defensive, we need to be proactive in the fight. And this meant for his readers then and for us today, it meant taking action. And so not only do we need to reinforce our spiritual armor, if you will, but we also need to be able to come to the aid of these people who are falling 
for these false doctrines and under the sway of these false believers. And so in order to do this, Jude's readers desperately needed, and we also, as his readers, we desperately need to develop discernment. We need to be able to tell the true from the false. If we can't do that, we're just as bad off as these false believers. We have to know the truth from error. We cannot earnestly contend for the faith if we don't know the true faith. We cannot, we cannot uh, notice the counterfeit if we don't know what the genuine is. And so we need to be discerning. And that's what Jude is calling us to do. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, He wrote to them, he said, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Because we need to be careful. If those people can be led astray, we can be led astray as well. And so we need to be discerning. And so in this section here, Jude addresses how we can properly contend for the faith and at the same time prosper spiritually, have a healthy spiritual life uh, during these increasingly apostate times. His game plan revolves around three ideas, and they're this. To remember, to remain, and to rescue. That's what the game plan is. First of all, we see we need to remember. We need to remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 17 through 19. He says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So Jude says, listen, we must remember... This is the first imperative verb that we find in the book of Jude. And so what this is telling us is that Jude is commanding us here. He's commanding us to do something. This is not a suggestion. He is commanding the people of God to remember. Remember some things. Now before I get into what we're to remember, I want to say this. In order to remember what someone said, in order to remember what the apostles said, in order to remember what Jesus has said, first of all, we must what? We must know what they have said, right? Listen, if we don't know what they've told us to do, how are we going to do it? If we're not in the Word of God to know what it says to do and to look for, how are we going to know? How are we going to remember? So he says we need to remember what they have told us. What have they told us? That the presence of false teachers is certain. They've always been around and they're here now. They were present in the Old Testament times. They afflicted the early church. They're active today. And we know from our study of Revelation that they're going to be very active in the future. They are here. They are present. Because they have always plagued God's people, their presence should not surprise us. We should not be caught unaware whenever we confront these false believers, these people who claim to know Christ, but they twist the Scriptures. We shouldn't shouldn't be caught unawares. Remember the warnings. Remember that Peter warned that in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Jude basically quoted Peter here in that. Remember what Paul said. He warned that fierce wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. Remember what the Apostle John said. He warned that false Christs are already here. 
There's already antichrists here. And he says false prophets are in the world. They're here. And remember the words of Jesus Christ. He warned that many false prophets will arise and lead people astray. Remember the warnings. They're here. They're among us. Remember that. Notice also, before I see what exactly we're to remember, notice that Jude, and this is kind of what I think he's doing, I think he's kind of throwing a shot here at these false believers. I think he's kind of throwing a shot at these apostates because notice how he addresses Jesus. Notice what he calls him. And he does this twice in these few verses. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, the, the uh, trifold name of our Lord and Savior. He is Lord. Those apostates, false believers, they don't accept Him as Lord. But I'm here to tell you something this morning. He is Lord. That speaks to His deity and that speaks to His sovereignty. Jesus Christ is the pre- eternally pre-existent God. He has always existed. He is not created. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And because of that, He is to be your Lord. Amen. But these apostates don't make Him Lord of their life. They claim His name, but they don't live by what He says. He's not their Lord. Jesus is Lord, Jude says. But He also says He's not just Lord. He is the Lord Jesus. Not only is He deity, not only is He completely sovereign, Jesus is also human. That speaks of His humanity. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God who came down and was robed in human flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He walked this earth as a human being and suffered as a human being. He was whipped. He was scourged. He was put on a cross where He died and He was buried just like any other human being. But Jesus Christ, guess what? Jude says is also... Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. That speaks of Him as the Anointed One, as the Messiah. And so as the Messiah, Jesus Christ did not remain buried in the tomb. He rose again the third day to prove He was the Anointed One of God. Jude is saying, this is who the true Christ is. The Lord Jesus Christ. Apostates don't recognize that. But Jude said, that's who He is. Remember that. So we need to remember, false teachers, they don't recognize Jesus like that. We also need to remember the portrait of these false teachers. And Jude has given us a a big portrait, a big picture of them throughout this letter. But he gives us a few more things here. We need to remember who they are. He provides this fourfold picture in these verses of these wolves in sheep's clothing. These fake Christians who manipulate People and worm their way into the fellowship of believers. And this is not a pretty portrait. He says in verse 18, they are scoffers or they are mockers. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 4 that they scoffed and mocked at the reality that Jesus Christ is going to come again. Listen, people do the same thing today. Even people that claim to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't believe He's coming again. They say things like this, oh, Jesus just comes again in people's hearts. Listen, that's not true. Jesus Christ does live in your heart if you're saved. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And He will again one day set foot back on this earth in His glorified physical human body. He will come again. False believers mock that. 
Jude says they laugh and they sneer and they make fun of God's holiness and God's moral perfect moral perfection. Listen, if you try to live a holy life, most of the time a false believer, they'll make fun of you and they'll ridicule you because that's not important to them to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says they joke about God's righteous character. They have no reverence for His purity. Biblical values do not mean anything to these people. Oh, they'll claim the name of Christ, but they'll go out and live like the devil. That's a false believer. They're mockers, they're scoffers. If they're not mocking with their words, they're mocking with their lifestyle. That they really don't believe what the Bible says. He also says in verses 18 and 19, these are sensual people. They live for the world. They don't take uh, John's advice to, to not live for worldly lust and love the things of the world. They do just the opposite. They make God's law and God's moral precepts into a mockery. They walk according to their own ungodly lust. They just live for the things of the world. This is really an echo of verse 16, and Jude adds to it. He adds that they follow after and they're controlled by their own lust, and so they pursue anything that pleases their selfish desire. They're not willing to do what the Bible says about living for the Lord Jesus Christ. They live on the earthly plane, not the heavenly plane. Their their minds are not set on things above, as Paul tells us they should be in Colossians. They're set on the earthly things. They're not spiritual, they're carnal. For them, lust is their Lord. For them, greed is their God. He also says they're schismatic or they're divisive in verse 19. The Bible tells us Satan loves to divide and destroy. He just wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what a false believer will do. They're evil ambassadors of Satan, and so they follow their master and they cause divisions. They promote strife. They foster strife. They don't promote unity. They lack respect for spiritual leaders. They make fun of moral convictions. They ridicule biblical doctrine. The application for the church regarding people like this is very clear. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, Mark those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught and avoid them. If you find people out here that tell you stuff that is uh, contrary to the Word of God, that is a troublemaker, that person is divisive, and we are to mark them, and we're not to associate in a friendship with them. We're to be friendly to them, but we're not supposed to be best friends with this type of person. Paul says to avoid them. Listen, if there's people out there that you're friends with that are constantly stirring up trouble, that are constantly gossiping, that are constantly involved in drama, that is contrary to the Word of God, and you need to be very careful about being friends with that type of person. Now, that's not me talking. That's the Apostle Paul. The Bible basically says when you see them coming, don't let them in. And when you see them within, get them out. That's what he's saying. So they're divisive. They're also, verse 19 says, spiritless. They're devoid of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not live within them. And that is the the characteristic that is the most telling and the most tragic about a false believer. This person is lost. This person is unregenerate. They do not have the Spirit of God living within them. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ in them, he does not belong to Christ. 
Listen, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you're saved. And if He's not, you're not. And he says these people are devoid of the Spirit. They claim Christ, but they don't really know Him. They boast of the Spirit, but their lives prove otherwise. They are spiritual frauds. They're religious shams. They're fake Christians. Titus 1.16 says this about them. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. It's one thing to... To name the name of Christ with your lips. But if your life does not back that up, you are lying, Jude says. Paul says as well. So we must remember the words of the apostles and of our Lord Jesus Christ about these apostates. Secondly, we must remain in the watch care of God's love. Look at verses 20 through 21. It says, But you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So now Jude, he's starting to get into the game plan. He's about to lay down the spiritual strategy to help us be discerning and protect us from being led astray by these apostates. And he anchors his instruction in this imperative word. And I want you to underline it. It is the word keep. He says you must keep something. You must keep yourselves in the love of God. And that right there sets in place for us three ways that explain how we're to do that. How we're to keep ourselves in the love of God. And this is a vitally important principle here. And it means to remain in the sphere of God's love. Or the place of His blessing. Now obviously God is never going to stop loving a true believer. The Bible says there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And nothing means nothing. So nothing's going to separate us from God's love. What this is saying is that we can find ourselves outside of the blessings of God's love. We can find ourselves, another way to say it is, outside of the joy of God's salvation. And there's a very clear illustration of that in the Word of God, and that's the prodigal son. The prodigal son left. He went outside of the sphere sphere of his father's love. But did his father ever stop loving him? No, he never stopped loving him. But because he went outside of the place of blessing, he found himself wallowing in the muck and the mire and the mud of the world and eating of the worldly garbage and suffering because he had found himself outside of that sphere. But when he had repented and had enough, what happened? God accepted him right back, didn't he? God never stops loving us, just as the prodigal son's father, who is a picture of God, never stopped loving him. But we can find ourselves outside of the blessing of God's love. So he says, keep yourselves in that. Well, how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves from finding ourselves outside of the blessings of God's love? First of all, by growing in the Scriptures. Verse 20 says, building yourselves up on the most holy faith. That means to be doctrinally sound. Now, a lot of churches have completely thrown out doctrine. They say doctrine is divisive. A lot of churches say that. I've heard some Baptist churches say that. Listen, doctrine is not divisive. Doctrine is what you must stand firm in. It's what you must concrete your feet in. Because doctrine simply means the teachings of the Word of God. And if you don't have any doctrine, you have nothing. 
You must have a strong foundation of the doctrine uh, and the doctrine of the Word of God. In other words, study God's Word, meditate on God's Word, and then apply God's Word to your life. We must master this Word and let this Word master us, in other words. Jesus Christ in His Gospel, as the Scripture records it, is our foundation for the faith. God and His Word are the sure rock upon which we must stand. And as we learn the Bible and understand the truth of God's Word, then we are strengthened. Then we grow in the faith. Then we are built up and become mature in the faith. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul told the Ephesian elders... He said, I command you, or I commend you rather, uh, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And then he says this, which is able to build you up. Folks, the word of God will build us up in the faith, but we must get in it. We must build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Without the gospel, we can do nothing of any eternal significance. Absolutely nothing. We must build ourselves up in that. So, growing in the Scripture. Secondly, we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Spirit. In verse 20 it says that. Now that expression does not refer to speaking in tongues or some unknown heavenly prayer language. That's not what that's talking about. It's speaking of praying for that which is consistent with the nature of the Holy Spirit. For praying for the Holy Spirit's will to take place. We are to pray for the desires of the Spirit, the directives from the Spirit, and for the decrees from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. It's full of decrees. We're to pray in that. The Spirit's will, praying in the Spirit's will is the same as praying in the Father's will. And praying in the Spirit's will is the same as praying in Jesus Christ's will. In other words, it's the same thing as praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We often use that at the end of prayers, right? When we do that, that's not just a tagline we tag on to the end of a prayer. That means we're praying in the holy nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're conforming our will to His will. And we're praying for His will to be done. And that's the kind of prayer the Bible says Jesus Christ will always, always answer. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. Prayer in the Spirit is prayer which comes from a heart that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and illuminated by the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, that kind of prayer, that kind of prayer unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit against Satan's strongholds. That kind of prayer unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit against apostasy, against false believers, against false teaching. And listen, the prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to achieve things that our arguments and our debates with people about religious things will not accomplish. We must pray in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then the third way to keep ourselves in the love of God is by waiting expectantly for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should be looking expectantly, knowing that He's going to come with certainty for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, that's going to affect the way we live. That's our blessed hope. Listen, Jesus Christ is coming again. When that's called our blessed hope, that's not saying that, hey, that's something we, we hope might occur. It might or it might not. That's not what it's saying. 
That's something we know with absolute confidence that we put our full hope in that is going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming again. And Peter says that if we watch expectantly for that, for Jesus' return, that that will cause us to live godly and holy lives in the present time. That will affect our lives if we watch expectantly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. As Christians, our hearts and our eyes are not to be fixed on this earth. They are to be fixed heavenward and looking for a rider on the white horse whose name is faithful and true, whose eyes, the Bible says, are like a fiery flame and on whose heads are many crowns. The Bible says we're to be looking for one whose robes are dipped in blood and on whose thigh is a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That man is coming again one day and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is, in fact, Lord of all. That's who we're to be looking for. But until that time, until He comes again, we are to grow in His Word and pray in, his, in the Spirit and watch expectantly for Him to come. So we are to remember the words of our Lord. We are to remain in the watch care of God's love. And thirdly, we are to reach out... <coughs> to the wandering who are lost. Verses 22 through 23 says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know, those who actually pose the greatest threat to the church, these apostates, these false believers who Jude says sneak in through the side door, they pose the greatest threat to the church. But guess what? They're also part of the church's mission field. We're also supposed to be sharing the true gospel with them and seeking to uh, uh, bring them into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're supposed to identify them. We're supposed to oppose them. We're supposed to expose them. But guess what? We're also supposed to evangelize them. We're supposed to share the gospel with them, share the truth with them. Throughout the New Testament and the Gospels, we find whenever Jesus denounced people as heretics, whenever He denounced them for their false teaching, you know what else He always did? He always shared the Gospel with them. He always shared the truth with them. He proclaimed to them the way of salvation. And Jude says we're to do the same thing. But there's ways to do it. At least two. We should deal with some of these people, with some of these false believers, gently and with compassion. I like how Brother Scott pointed out uh, very well in Sunday school this morning, to have compassion on somebody is not to just feel sorry for them. To have compassion on somebody is to see their need and then take action and help them. The Bible says that's what Jesus did. And Jude says that's what we should do. We should have compassion on these people. Some people, some false believers, they are not so deeply entrenched in this false teaching as others. Some of these people have questions. Some of them have doubts. Some of them aren't sure what to believe. Some of them aren't sure what's going on. And so people like that, we should not ignore them. We should not reject them. We should not ridicule them. We shouldn't get mad at them and beat them over the head with the Bible. Jude says we should have compassion on them. 
He don't say ignore their sin, but He says have compassion on them. In other words, we should confront these people with the gospel with compassion, with conviction. We should share the gospel with them before they are permanently caught in that heresy. Have compassion. But, a drastic difference with another group. With others, he said we should try to save with fear. We should be very careful, very cautious with these people. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. In other words, some people have slipped so far into apostasy, so far into these false beliefs, that we must proceed with extreme caution when we seek to share the gospel with them, when we seek to share the truth with them, because these people may very well corrupt us. These people will try to defile us. He says we should even hate the garment defiled by the flesh. What that is literally saying there is, it's talking about underwear that have been soiled. Just as we would not want to take somebody else's underwear that's been soiled and put them on because it might defile us, we should be very, very careful not to be defiled by people who have fallen into great, deep apostasy. Also, this type of person might put you in a situation to be falsely accused. They may try to ruin you. They may lie about you. They may try to ruin your testimony. And so you must be very careful with dealing with this type of people. And we shouldn't be scared of the people per se, the people themselves, but we need to have a very healthy fear of the dangers that surround that person that could affect us as we try to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea, Jude says, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. The idea of pulling them out of the fire is that we don't play around with them. We don't hang around them too long. In other words, we don't have a discussion and a debate about whether their lifestyle is right or wrong. And Jude is telling us we need to swiftly confront them with the truth and then move on. Don't dilly-dally around. Don't argue with them. Don't debate with them. Confront them with the truth and move on. Jesus modeled that principle during His earthly ministry, by the way. To those who were confused and those who were unsure, those who had doubts, Jesus patiently and gently presented the gospel with them with compassion. But those who were committed and entrenched in false teaching, such as the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their followers, you know what Jesus did? He bluntly warned them about the gravity of their lost condition called them to make a decision, and then moved on. He even went so far as to call them a brood of snakes who were bound for the pits of hell if they did not repent and and trust in the gospel. That's how careful you need to be with those people. And so that's the game plan for the church, for the believer, during apostate times. And if we don't take that seriously... When the church does not deal properly with spiritual contamination, with false believers, with false teaching in a church, it can spread like wildfire. And the results can be disastrous. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the Lord told the church at Sardis, He said, I know your deeds. 
that you have a reputation that you are alive, but really you are dead. And then he goes on to say this, because only a few in Sardis had not soiled their garments. In other words, the majority of them had embraced apostasy. The majority of them were false believers. They were counterfeit Christians. And so that killed that church and that damned those false believers to an eternity of hell. Burning flame. If we'll carry out God's game plan, we won't fall into that same trap. But if we don't follow the game plan, that's what will happen. To our church. Remember the words of our Lord. Study the Word of God. Practice sound doctrine. Remain in the watch care of God's love. You can boil that down to obedience. Jesus said that I am in the Father's love. And then He told us, You can be in my love just as I am in the Father's love. And then He said this, But this is how you do it. You've got to be obedient. If you love me, you'll obey me, Jesus said in that passage of Scripture. Obey the Word of God. Obey the Lord Jesus Christ and remain in His love. And then, lastly, reach out to the wandering who are lost. Share the gospel. Share it with compassion with some. Share it with, uh, very carefully with others but share the gospel. And we'll be safe from apostasy. Let's stand. Brother Scott, if you'll come, we'll have an invitation.